0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our
1: relationship with God. Tonight we're going to be in 2 Kings 9. And what's going on in Israel? What's going on with God's people? Well, we find that the last time we left off, and it was really sad, there just was this rampant sin in Israel, the northern kingdom, in Judah, the southern kingdom. And sadly enough, the leaders were just as wicked, if not more, than what the culture was doing. There was a lack of justice, there were people living in awful conditions, and today we're going to see that justice is finally served. It's going to be served to the leaders. To both kings, Joram of the northern kingdom of Israel, and to Ahaziah of the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, this is something that is, I guess, some don't realize. Like, we always hear about Jesus is love, and God is love. But then we find in the scripture that God is also a God of justice. Well, how does that coexist? Well, sin deserves punishment, period. It's evil, it's wicked, it's, you know, when it's done against God, when it's done against each other. So God has a God of justice, but through Jesus Christ, Jesus took the penalty for our sins so that when we die, if we are believers in Jesus, then it's great, we have eternal life. That's wonderful. So you can see the justice and the mercy and grace happening at the same time. It's quite fantastic. Um, there's nowhere else in the universe that we could find such a thing. But just to give you an idea of what justice looks like when we... Well, perfect example, the terrorist attack in Manchester, England. All these young girls, you know, tweens. Some sick person in his sick ideology thought that it would be a good idea to blow the place up and kill these girls. And it, it, it angers us, and it should. When we look on TV and we find a murderer or a serial murderer... And you know he did it, and he confessed to doing it, and he gets off on a technicality. It angers us. That's where justice comes from. You know, we, we all have that ingrained in us to see wrongs righted, to see the, the guilty, the manipulators, the, you know, the horrible people get what's coming to them. And it doesn't always happen in our, in our world, but we'll see that in the afterlife it will happen. So I want to warn you, some of this is graphic. <laughs> you know, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat anything. Um, and uh, and I'll try to my best to explain how it goes, and and we'll take it from there. So in chapter nine, verse one, it says that Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets, and said to him, "Get yourself ready, take this flask of oil in your hand, and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his associates." And take him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head. And say, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. Well, that's interesting. You know, if you were tapped, here comes Elisha. You know, he's telling you, he's giving you marching orders. And make sure at the end you run, like as fast as you can to get out of there. So we look at this, and, and God, what God is doing is really he's instituting a coup. Because both kings, um, again, their wickedness has come before him. He's he's been very patient. Now he has to deal with it. Um, we saw this with David and, and Saul. David was anointed as the king, but it took some time for him to ascend to the throne. It's the same thing with Jehu. Proverbs twenty nine two says, "When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when a, a wicked man rules, the people groan." Right. Thankfully for us, you know, we see presidents come and go, congressmen, senators. In some countries, um, and in, in the old days of the monarchs, a person could be on the throne for 50 years. And if you had a bad leader, it just was a groaning. It was, it was difficult. Um, again, to make matters worse, it was the, the leaders, the people themselves, it was the culture. Um, and, and we can see some of that today. Our culture is decadent. And when someone tries to stand up against it, they're shouted down pretty much. Um, But, you know, one thing that I did touch on was that this, the sons of the prophets, and and I love this about God's word. You might say, well, why didn't Elisha do it? Well, why why should Elisha get all the credit? He's just the man. Elijah was awesome, remember him? And then God took him away and put Elisha in his place. God's not about celebrityism. Unfortunately, in Christianity today, you can see like a lot of celebrityism and idol-making in certain ministries, but God's not like that. He tapped this young prophet and said, it's your turn, your number's up. Got something for you to do, it's important. You trusted him to do it, good discipleship there. We continue in verse four. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth-Gilead, and when he arrived, there were the captains of the army sitting, maybe a little intimidating, right? And he said, I have a message for you, O commander. (laughs) And Jehu said, for which one of us? And he said, For you, commander. Then he arose and went into the house. And he poured the oil on his head and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master. Now remember, Ahab's already passed away, but there's still his kids, his grandkids, and his whole family was just wicked people, including his wife. Um, That I may avenge the blood of my servant, servants the prophets and the blood of all the servants of the lord at the hand of jezebel who is ahab's wife she's still alive she's the queen for the house of ahab shall perish and i will cut off from ahab all the males in israel both bond and free so i will make the house of ahab like the house of jeroboam the son of nebat and like the house of Baasha, the son of ahijah the dog shall eat jezebel in the vicinity of jezreel and there shall be none to bury her and he opened the door and fled. <laughs> he made sure he got that right. You know, got out of there. Again, there was there was there was problems in the kingdom, and um, you know there was going to be a coup. There was going to be bloodshed, and you know as soon as you're done, get out of there. So Jehu has a mandate from God. After the many years of the evil of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, it's got to come to an end. Again. God is loving, He's merciful, but He's also just. Sometimes we forget that in Christianity in the New Testament. Romans 13 also speaks about um, even government, military police, that sometimes life has to be taken, the courts, uh, because evil has to be judged. and that keeps an order in civil society.? Right? And again, those that don't get it here, you know, sometimes people do that can't believe that person. They're so wicked. Look what they're doing, you know. Uh, years and years and years. And they seem to be getting away with it. Not in the final judgment, they won't. First Kings 21 lays out the eventual punishment for Ahab's line. And we're going to read some of that a little bit later. But he said, I will make Ahab's line like that of Jeroboam and Baasha. Which he also took out their line, their evil line. Uh, for Ahaziah and Joram which who we're going to see today, those two kings, that's going to be fulfilled in Jehu. Verse 6, it's funny because he speaks about the northern kingdom that kind of went apostate first, get, got really wicked first before the southern kingdom. He still refers to the Israelites in the northern kingdom as the people of the Lord, even though they weren't acting like it. That's what I love about God. You know, he believes in us more times than we believe in ourselves. And he still saw the good that could come out he didn't give up on them, you know. Even when they were carried away by the uh, by the Assyrians, uh, many of them still came back. They still retained their heritage in in foreign. Um, you know, he wasn't going to have them completely destroyed, which was wonderful. Uh, but he he looked at them and he saw promise in many of them. And when we read even the the prophets who preached fire and brimstone, you always saw that there was a remnant of God's people that were still good and God honored that, and that was wonderful. Um, So Jehu is anointed king of Israel. Joram, the king of the north, has no idea God has taken the kingship from under his feet. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I was was having a conversation with a a really nice pastor, a friend of mine of a smaller church, and he was talking about all these things that were happening in the church. Like He was like, Somebody died and all this stuff. And he says, you know, I actually stopped and I prayed and said, Lord, do I still have your favor? What a humble man. That's why he's my friend. (laughs) But, um, you know, just to stop and say, not assume. Assume that it's just things are going to continue. But to always be cognizant of, of what God desires from us, to have that relationship with him. Not to put God aside and go, I have it from here. Think you stand, but you fall. Know, that pride, that overconfidence. Nobody should have that if we're Christians. Um, others never look in the mirror. They never consider that they might be doing something that the Lord's not pleased with. You know, They just keep going. We shouldn't be like that as Christians. A lot of lessons in here. Verse 11 continues on. Then Jehu came out to the servants of his master, and one of them said to him... So now Jehu goes back to the other... They calls them captains, but they're leaders. We, we would say today in the army that they were generals, right? A bunch of generals. So he goes oh, out to his peers, and one said, Is all well? Why did this madman come to you? And he said to him, You know the man in his babble. And they said, A lie, tell us now. So he said, Well, thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then each man hastened, to take his garment and put it under him or under his feet on the top of the steps. And they blew trumpets saying, Jehu is king. So Jehu, he's anointed, you know, and this is interesting because kind of we have that too when God uses us or he calls us and we're not really sure, you know, God doesn't write down and send the scroll from heaven and we catch it and it tells us day by day, month by month, year by year, what we're going to do. He's, he calls us. And he gives us this unfolding revelation. Little by little, God um, reassures us. He solidifies things. He uses confirmation, other believers, the things we find in the Word. So Jehu, he's not really sure. He comes out of the meeting and there's oil dripping down his head because he's already been anointed by that young prophet. And his men are like, what's going on? Uh, and he, he first tries to keep it a secret, but his men know him and they press him. And he goes, okay. He he told me I was going I was supposed to be the king, so they spread their garments under his feet, and it was a sign of that they were submitting and they were going to be loyal and give him their support. So all of a sudden, his peers fall in line under Jehu. Pretty cool. Now I, I like this one thing is is that the, the men who what's that madman doing? And he goes, Well, you know his babble, almost like locker room talk. You know, they were just kind of you know being guys and you know, the things of God. But I think Jehu was trying to play it off. But here's the cool thing. When Jehu said, all right, I'll tell you the truth. Oil dripping down my face. I just was anointed to be the king. And all of a sudden, everybody gets right. So it's kind of cool that they almost start just kind of playing the guy off, discounting him, and then they realize, you know what, this is from God. This is something we need to take seriously. So you see the, the respect comes afterwards for, for the actual anointing. Verse 14 it says, so Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, you know, I just want to say this as well. We see a lot in the scripture of people having a change of heart. We're going to see this Sunday in the parable of the landowner and the parable of the two sons. Just it's coming up a lot with me lately. And that's the cool thing that God gave us the ability to, to maybe do, do dumb things at first and make bad decisions and then say, you know what? No, nah, I want to do the right thing. So you've seen a lot of change of heart, things that happen. And then some that are just so stubborn that they won't change, and it's to their demise. So 14, it says, So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram had been defending Ramoth-Gilead, he and all Israel, against Haziel, king of Syria. But king Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him, which he fought with Haziel, king of Syria. And Jehu said, If you are so minded, let no one leave or escape from the city to go and tell it in Jezreel. So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram was laid up there, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come to see Joram. So God kind of calls these two kings. He puts them in the same area, right? And Jehu's going to strike. Um, if we could put up the image, the first image of the map. And there's a few, a few things that I, I kind of want to point out here. So here's the southern kingdom of Judah, Ahaziah's district. This is the northern kingdom of Israel, um, is Joram's district. Aram is Syria. Syria is still Syria. Israel still Israel. So cool, 2,000 years later, really nothing has changed. And what happens is, here's Ramoth Gilead, which is on the outskirts of Israel, real close to Syria. The Israelites and the Syrians are fighting, right? So here's some of the battle taking place. If you remember the last chapter, Haziel becomes king of Syria, and he's really a problem. Elisha looks into his eyes, and the Lord shows him just what a harsh man he's going to be. But God uses that king to deal with his own people, Right, because of their disobedience and their wickedness. So there's a battle that takes place. The king Joram is wounded. He comes further inland to Jezreel, which is over here. And he's recovering from his wounds in a more secure place because it's further inland. Um, later on, we're going to see over here is Megiddo, and Samaria is right around here. This Actually, I did this from memory this is really blurry. <laughs> when I saw it initially, it was clear, but I've looked at Bible maps for so many years, I just know where everything is, and I'm just kind of using this to show you. Um, Megiddo is going to come into play later. Ahaziah runs here when he should be down here. That's what I love about the Bible. There's so much information, and a good archaeologist will actually use the Bible as a handbook when they start to dig. You know, the Bible said that this kingdom would be here. Well, let's dig and see what we find. Sure enough, they find, you know, uniforms, they find uh, uh, hist- historic writings, etc. So it's pretty neat. OK, so Joram flees inland, the king. He's wounded in the battle with the Syrians, and Ahaziah, the king of the South, goes to meet him because they're friends. They're both bad dudes. Birds of a feather flock together. So they're hanging out together, rotten leaders to their people, all kinds of misery they've inflicted. So just keep that in mind and at the end of verse 15 Jehu tells his men, "Okay, we're going to we're going to strike, we're going to sneak up on him. I'm the king because God said so, but, you know, don't don't get it out there. We don't want to ruin our plans." Verse 17, we continue. Now, a watchman, okay, this is in Jezreel, and they would have these walls and they would have towers in these walls. Okay, they didn't have radar back then and they didn't have GPS and cameras and airplanes and reconnaissance. So this is the best they could do back then. Take you back a few thousand years. So in these, in these walls were these little towers, well these big towers, high towers and there would be a watchman and he would from his elevation he could see what was going on. Right. So he's looking and a watchman stood on the tower in, it, in Jezreel and he saw the company of Jehu as he came. Horses, you know the chariots, the dust is blowing up, you know a big dust bowl from all this. He sees the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company of men. And Joram, the king, says, Get a horseman and send him to meet them. And let him say, Is it peace? You come in peace. So the horseman went to meet him and, Jehu and, and, and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. And the watchman reported, saying, The messenger went to them, but he's not coming back. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and he said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, what have, you do to, what have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. And the watchman reported, saying, He went up to them, and he's not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. So some people might, if you have a problem with a lead foot, you could put Jehu on your plate, make it a vanity plate, because he drives furiously. Sorry. Sorry. I've got to keep you awake, you know. It's after dinner. <laughs> so, okay. So Jehu is coming towards Jezreel with his men. He's going to attack. The watchman sees what's going on. And the king sends out a scout. He opens the gate. The horse goes out. The horseman goes out. Catches up. You know, horses are fast. So he's going to catch the chariot before it makes to the city. This happens twice. The scouts come out. Jehu basically says, if you look at the Hebrew... It's not a time for peace, so ride with me, get behind. Let's go. Jehu is this uh, natural alpha male type of leader that people just fall in line behind him. Of course God is with him, but he certainly uses his gifts. Now remember, Joram the king still has no idea that the kingship's been taken from him. Because you know what, he has no communication with God. He's totally left God in the dust. He's totally disrespected God. He's had some of his people worship these high places where they're pr- pretty much worshiping demons. So God doesn't owe him anything. And that's what happens. Okay, um, So he sees Jehu coming, and even though this is kind of weird that his two messengers end up behind Jehu, and he's still coming towards the city, he ends up going out, as we'll see, because he might think, well, Jehu's still my general, and maybe he's telling me some news from the front lines. 've got to think about this whole military and, and how it works and it's, it's fascinating, but he's in a place where none of us ever want to be where something's been taken from us and we just don't know you know someone's left us and we just don't know you know and that's that's the mark of somebody who's very prideful overconfident doesn't consider relationships, and certainly when it's not the relationship with the Lord and people do this they they want God to bless them, they want God to do this, and they they just There's no relationship there. What do you expect? God doesn't need me to defend him, but you know what I'm saying. Um, So he drives furiously. Jehu is identified the way he drives his His horses in his chariot. Maybe he zigzags, maybe he goes really fast. I don't know. But they're like, that looks like Jehu. 21, we continue. So Joram, the king, says, Make ready. And his chariot was made ready. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, They both go out, each in his chariot, and they went out to meet Jehu, and they met him on the property of Naboth the Jezreelite. That should ring a bell. Now it happened when Joram saw Jehu that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? So he answered, What peace? As long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. Ouch. (laughs) So his heart must have sank and go, Oh, this isn't good. And his generals are with him. Then Joram turned around and fled and said to Ahaziah, Treachery, Ahaziah! Now Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Joram between his arms, and the arrow came out at his heart, and he sank down in his chariot. Yeah, so (laughs) this is what happens here. This is the execution of Joram. If you think about it, his last moments were fraught with paranoia, fear, uncertainty, anxiety, maybe think about the last minutes of his life. I'm the king, I got an arrow stuck out of my heart. And you know what, that's often the death of those that lie and manipulate and practice evil. And even those that are still around and do these things, they get paranoid. You ever know somebody who's always doing the wrong thing and they're always paranoid? I couldn't live like that. I mean, that's just, you know, they're always wondering. Is the law after me? Is somebody finding out that I double-crossed them? And that's, a, that's an extreme, but um, again, king Jorah, or Kings Joram and ah- Ahaziah meet Je- Jehu not coincident- coincidentally on Naboth's property. Remember Naboth, speaking of Jezebel and Ahab, um, Naboth had a vineyard, a lovely vineyard in Jezreel. And uh, the King Ahab really wanted it. So his nasty wife said to him, well, you're the king, just take it from him. So poor Naboth, he's minding his own business. He's a taxpayer, right? (laughs) And uh, they pretend to have a banquet for Naboth. And while he's there, they set him up. And they get two false witnesses, sort of like what they did to Jesus. And they said he blasphemes. So this poor Naboth, he thinks there's a banquet for him. They, They yank him out of the place and take him outside and stone him to death. Then they find his sons and kill his sons. So before you start feeling sorry for Joram and Jezebel later, and um, Ahaziah, these people were wicked people. So they killed this man and his whole line just to take his vineyard. So his wife said, and it's yours now, go take it. They're all dead. Uh, poetic justice, Joram is killed and he's thrown into the field that his father, grandfather, I think it was, took, the king took, and, um, and that's where he died. But Jehu has a great answer to Joram's question. Peace, how can there be peace when your mother Jezebel is still alive and practicing evil? If we look at the word witchcraft, it's really a demonic practice. Today it's the same thing. If you're not worshiping God and you're trying to get answers from the underworld or the afterlife, if it isn't God, it's demons. And sometimes people do seances and different tarot cards and you'll get some answers. You keep doing that, they'll string you along and then before you know it you're you're completely hooked. So Jezebel made a practice of this. She was I think a Sidonian, she got her husband involved. He got the Israelites involved. And every you see how this stuff spreads? We see it in our culture, don't we? Decadent practices in our culture, you know. And it's really sad when it goes through the high schools, Pastor Vinny, you know, and these young kids are doing these these things. I remember when um what was it uh, uh séances and uh Ouija boards were big, and people wanted to contact the dead. Wow. And, and, and it catches on, and they sell them in the store, and you can call out these spirits, and it's really, uh, really creepy when you think about it. Harlotries, in a spiritual sense, God was married to his children, the children of Israel. So harlotries, adultery was in a spiritual sense in that Jezebel caused the children of Israel to to cheat on God, so to speak, and to go with these demons. And God let go of his protective hand, and the nation suffered for it. But jo- Joram knows the gig is up, warns Ahaziah, the other king, and he flees. However, Jehu is not only good with horses and chariots, apparently he's good with a bow and arrow. <laughs> so this guy had multi-talents, and that's why he was the general. Um, I've, I've done a little, very little horse riding. It's not easy takes a while to get used to, and i 've also done some bow and arrow, but i haven 't done both <laughs> and I really respect people. the old warriors used to do this from a horseback at a full gallop. they would pull back and they would be able to hit their targets The, um, the ones that took over china the um, the Huns they were devastating on horseback with a bow and arrow the Scythians, the precursors to the southern southern russia sh- r- southern russians it 's very interesting to follow these people groups. But basically, um, and again, with a bow and arrow, if, if I want to hit a target that's 20 feet from me, I pull the string back, I let the arrow go, it hits the target. If I really want that thing to sing and I want it to sail, I push the bow all the way forward, pull the strings all the way back, as far as it'll go, aim it, let it go, and that thing sails. So he actually beat out the horse. That arrow flew so fast, and it's, it's not uncommon. If you, if you do any archery, you know that. And he's trying to get away, and Jay, who that back and he lets it go and it goes through his back and out the front it pierces his heart and that's how he dies again don't feel sorry for him that he was really a wicked person 25 then Jehu said to Bidkar his captain one of the guys who falls in line behind him pick him up and throw him into the tract of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite for remember when you and I were riding together behind Ahab his father when Ahab the king was alive, these were his generals, that the Lord laid this burden upon him, probably in the form of Elisha, if we remember First Kings, and I'll read that. Surely I saw yesterday, this is God speaking in this prophecy that now comes to pass. Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, says the Lord. And I will repay you in this plot, Jezreel, says the Lord. Now therefore take and throw him on the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. Sin is pleasurable for a time, and the greater the sin, it's going to come back. It's going to come back. Actually, when you think about the treachery and things that go on in the world, it is quite remarkable that the Lord Jesus died for the sins of the world. So what happens is uh, Jehu is remembering When Ahab was alive and him and Bidekar were riding and they were behind Ahab, they probably didn't like him that much because Ahab was just a rotten person. But they were stuck under his leadership and they remembered when Elisha confronts him and says, this is going to be your future. The Lord basically says to the prophet, I've had enough of your evil and your wickedness. Now I'm just going to read 1 Kings 21, a few verses. And this is that prophecy where Elisha confronts King Ahab. Right, First Kings twenty-one, starting with verse seventeen. The word of the Lord came to Il, I'm sorry, Elijah, misspoke, Elijah the prophet, saying, "Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria." Now there he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to, pos- to take possession of it. You sh- shall speak to him, saying, "Thus says the Lord: You have murdered, and also taken possession." And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Then Ahab said to Elijah, the guy just couldn't repent. You know, you ever see this as a Christian, when you're just trying to kind of talk to somebody, maybe mildly rebuking them or whatever, and they just give you such a hard time because you're taking God's message. So instead of the king just repenting and, and changing his ways, he says to him, have you found me, O my enemy? He considered him his enemy. It's sad. And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity, your bloodline, and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah because of the provocation which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. We'll get to the other part in a moment. Um, So that's that's what's going on here. Verse 27. The death of Ahaziah. But when Ahaziah, king of Judah, saw this, he fled by the road to Beth-hagan. So Jehu pursued him and said, Shoot him also in the chariot. And they did so at the ascent to Ger, which is by Iblim, Then he fled to Megiddo and died there. And his servants carried him in the chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in the tomb with his fathers in the city of David. In the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah, had become king over Judah. So Ahaziah is also killed. He's also related to uh, Ahab. Unfortunately, his wickedness and his bloodline spread to the southern kingdom as well. Um, So... Ahaziah is pursued by Jehu's troops and they eventually kill him. Second Chronicles 22 says they kill the royal princes as well. Now, you don't have to put the map back up, but remember when I showed you Megiddo and how far it was from Judah? Ahaziah was supposed to be representing his constituents in the southern kingdom. As a matter of fact, there was a lot of good still in the southern kingdom. The temple was there. There were good priests and Levites there. There were good people there. But he identified with the North, even though he was king of the South. We've got to ask ourselves, who do we identify with? Now, even as Christians, I like to say that social media is like a voluntary NSA program. You know, I, I, I see some of the things that, and listen, I, I'm, I'm not here to judge, I'm really not. But sometimes Christians put stuff up, they want to be liked, and by their, by their profile, they're acting like they're not even saved. You know, this is me. Look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing today. It's sad, it really is. Who do we identify with? You know, I was in the wrong place. He flees. You know, he's he's panicking. But instead of going south, he goes north because he identified with the wrong people and the wrong place. Um, sometimes Christians are in the wrong place. They don't belong there. You know, sometimes we get convicted by that. I know I was. I had been at times. So before before we get to the last part, I just want to put up the second image, just as a historical, um, the obelisk. That thing's really big, by the way. If you look there and here, that's a, that's in a British museum. You say, what the heck is that thing? <laughs> big piece of um, limestone, but it's probably you know, close to 10 feet tall. But that is a 9th century B.C. Assyrian limestone obelisk of Shalmaneser III, the king of Assyria. And what does that have to do with the price of bread? <laughs> uh, that was found in Iraq, and what it does is it triangulates King Jehu of Israel with the Persians and the Assyrians, and it sits today in a British museum. It's fascinating. i just like to do this because it's just me. I'm, I'm a, any day of the week, no matter who comes in, I'll prove to you the Bible's true. And that obelisk has actually, if you ever get some pictures to see it up close, it has all these relief carvings, ornate. What the kings were doing. Actually, the the carvings were so ornate that the dress, the attire of the different cultures is obvious that you can see the difference in the Assyrian garb versus the Persian garb versus the Israeli garb. And it basically shows all these scenes and tells a story about history and they didn't have computers back then, so they put them on these obelisks. There's also, if you're interested, a large white obelisk of the Assyrian king Asher Nazirbel. That's a mouthful. <laughs> so, And again, it shows this is all history. It's, it's dug up history. It's found. right? Bible's, God's word is always true. Last part. Good old Queen Jezebel. Jezebel is so famous that even if you say to an unbeliever, do you know who Queen Jezebel is? Oh, yeah, I know who Jezebel is. What about Ahab? Who's Ahab? It was her husband, the king. Jezebel ends up in Revelation. Jezebel was just a very, one of probably the worst women that ever lived. Verse 30, it says, When Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. Then as Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? And he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side, who? And two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Then he said to the eunuchs, Throw her down. So They picked her up, they threw her out the window. And some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. And when he had gone in, he ate and drank. He had lunch afterwards. Then he said, Go now, see to this accursed woman and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull, and the feet, and the palms of her hands. Therefore they came back and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field. In the plot of Jezreel, so they shall not say, here lies Jezebel. So I hope that any of you didn't just come from eating, and I made you squeamish. I hope not. This is the execution of Jezebel. She was a very prideful woman, very overconfident, very wicked, probably one of the worst um, um, you know, associates you could have. Uh, she turns a lot of people bad, um, and this is how her life ends. This is interesting. Uh, she paints her eyes and adorns her head. This actually, believe it or not, <laughs> I, I, after this, I'm like, I didn't really get that. So I'm like, looking at, what do the commentators say about painting? What's she putting on makeup? What's going on? And I actually found out that she, uh, they painted their eyes with antimony, which is an element on a periodic table, probably not very safe. And um, I actually started going up, I'm all into this thing. Like, what, what is she doing? And actually, the the Cleopatra and and the the queens of of Egypt did the same thing. And they put this stuff on their eyes. And you can see pictures of it, uh, like a replication. And their eyes looked actually so beautiful. It was an incredible type of makeup. uh, And the the queens would wear their hairs in kind of locks. And she, you know, Jay, who's riding towards it's going to be a problem, she's putting on makeup and fixing her hair. (laughs) <laughs> so we, we don't know what was she thinking um, she probably was and again I'm, I'm doing extrapolation here she was probably was, was very beautiful because the kings back then were very vain and Pastor Vinny was is doing the book of Esther and what did he do he got rid of the one queen had a beauty contest for his next queen they were very vain very um, sight driven men so she probably was very beautiful maybe she was trying to seduce him maybe she um was just thinking she's going to go out as queen like she did every other time. Maybe she just was very vain, we don't know. But she taunts Jehu, which is not really smart if you know who Jehu is. Again, very overconfident. But now she calls him Zimri, she knows who he is. Who's Zimri? Zimri was actually a general who turns king, sound familiar? Well, because he killed the king. And then he killed himself seven days later. So she's kind of hint, hinting to Jehu. You'll, just, you'll end up like Zimri. Not really smart on her part. But basically, she, again, the, you had the walls of the city, and they were actually apartments that were built into the walls. Remember Jericho, right? Um, and she's probably high up, thinks she's untouchable. He's going to have to get through the gate. She taunts him out the window. So they're having this conversation her and him and he's like he calls out is there anybody there that is with me Um, and just has had enough of her and three people the royal servants pick her up they throw her out the window (laughs) yeah (laughs) and um, I can only imagine that uh, it does seem she again not to be really graphic but she probably broke some bones blood spatters she's probably not dead and Jehu rides over her and finishes the job now My wife has horses, and they're like 1,300 pounds, and I know people who have had their foot stepped on by a horse's foot, breaks the bone completely. they have got to be in a cast, bone reset. Horses are very heavy beasts. So just for a little interesting, I, I took three pictures. We could dim the lights and show them. So I did something probably not terribly smart. I squatted down. The horses like me, by the way. And I looked up at the horse, and nice boy, nice, nice. And I took pictures with my camera phone looking up. So if you're looking, they actually look, don't they look like dinosaurs? <laughs> they're so big. You can see his veins and the muscles in his legs and his neck. Uh, like they're just big creatures. So that might have what she saw when that was happening. Second picture. <laughs> you like that, Heather? <laughs> So it could be intimidating. I'm trying to get them that look really tough for me, you know, so I can... But they're really sweet. Um, next picture. <laughs> so he did a little little dance with his foot. You know, if the horse was coming after you, maybe that's what it looked like. All right, we're good. <laughs> so, yeah, see what I do for sermons? I really put myself at peril to really make this pop. So you could imagine, just, just so you know, uh, back in the day... How you died was very important, especially if you were royalty. It really, if you had the thought that your death, it's so weird. Like to me, when I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. I don't care what you do. I told my my wife, just make it a cheap funeral. Don't spend a lot of money. Keep the money uh, because I'm going to be with the Lord. I don't really care what you do with my body. But they really cared. And it was a a grievous dishonor to, to not have a proper burial. So here she is. Out the window, splattered on the ground. The horses are trampling her, um, and then, did I read about the wild dogs? Thank you. So the wild dogs, um, then they they have their fill of her. And let me read the rest. So First Kings twenty one. First Kings twenty one. I read the rest of the prophecy that I read before, and I just stopped it because the rest of it, twenty three, had to do with Jezebel. So it says, and concerning Jezebel the Lord also spoke, saying, the dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Isn't it amazing God's prophecies, how they come to pass all the time with perfect accuracy? The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. And that already took place. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And he behaved very abominably in following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Okay, so she's so despicable that when after she's dying, um, Jehu probably dismounts his horse, goes inside, and gets something to eat. You know, he's having lunch. And then he realizes, yeah, she is a daughter of a queen, so he says to his men, you know, go, go get her and give her a, a burial, but it's too late. Apparently she was very tasty, and the dogs ate her, you know. I'm s- I just, listen, I have to go into detail here. I, I'm sorry. Um, our dogs today, we, we baby them, we, we ho- carry them around. Dogs back then and in that culture, they were wild dogs. And if you've ever watched National Geographic, when a pack of dogs come and attack something, and then they just literally tear it piece to piece. Well, that's what they did to Jezebel. And you say, well, there's only her skull left, her hands, her feet. And uh, my wife's shaking her head, no, Joe, you're going too far. And uh, maybe each dog got a rib, so there was really not much left of her. Femur bone, they got a real big one. One dog was really lucky. So by the time they come outside, there's nothing left to Jezebel. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) I really get into this stuff. But the people just, they got tired of wicked rulers. You know, the generals, remember, turned on Joram, right? Generals all got together. Jehu's king. Didn't even think about it. The two horseback messengers, Jehu said, get behind me. They did, right? They were tired of Joram and, and, and Ahaziah. The palace servants turned on Jezebel. They threw her out the window. And did you know that Adolf Hitler had 29 attempts on his life. The SS was just too strong. Um, imagine how things would have been if they would have got to him sooner. He was extremely paranoid because people were trying to kill him all the time. He deserved it. Unfortunately, they didn't get to him. You know, the allies had to come And But, you know, Hitler was a horrible person and it was the same thing. And you find a lot of these leaders, you could look at the communist leaders, some of the worst people were paranoid. They were unsettled at their death. I read reports about Joseph Stalin and, and some of these, these creepy guys. Um, people get tired of wicked rulers, and then you know what they do. They have all this protection because they're that evil that if somebody gets a chance, they're going to take them out. But I have to say that, just so you know who I am, I'm the guy that likes in the movies when the bully or the thug or the criminal gets justice in the end. You can see I'm really into this. Um, that's why I became a police officer for 25 years. And then you run into the system and realize there's only so much you can do. But I love that God is a God of justice, and he writes wrongs on the earth, but definitely he, he writes them at the judgment seat. Chuck Smith mused, and it's funny, I'm, I listen to his iPod still in the 80s. He's gone to be with the Lord. And he mused when he reads the Bible, and he gets into the justice part, and he says, and, and in the Old Testament, with the rights of the victims... And he mused. Now, this is, this is a while ago, and he said, you know, in society today, it seems like everybody cares so much for the criminals, but they don't care, the, vi- the victims flip through the cracks, and he's so right. And it's even worse today. Everybody's worried, to, you know, this serial killer, you know, he didn't get a train when he was 10, and, you know, come on, you, you take some personal responsibility, and that's... For some that are unsettled by going through this, it's because we live in a society where people don't take personal responsibility. It's always somebody else's fault. And what we have to understand is that God is a God of justice. He's just. And here's the interesting thing. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what did God do? Instead of giving us the justice we deserved, right, he sent his son he sends His Son from the heavenly throne down to become a man to die for our sins. Who does that? Only God. That's how much He loves us. So justice was still served by Jesus Christ on the cross. He bore all of our sins. Justice was served because we deserve justice. But because Christ took our penalty, we now, get, we now have grace. He switched identities with us. Pretty impressive. right? So, And here's the sad thing. There's people today that don't want God's mercy and grace. They, you tell them about the love of Christ. You tell them about uh, how he died for their sins, and they're like, nah, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. That's amazing. Jezebel was one of those people, right? And, and we know people like that, and it's heartbreaking. So the truth is that God is a jo- God of justice, and there's going to be a day when all, even those that are dead, they're going to be brought back up, and he's, they're all going to stand before his throne. The great white throne judgment is not going to be pretty, but here's the beautiful thing. The justice was already paid for at the cross. So listen, if there's anybody here tonight or anybody listening on the CD or a podcast, justice is real. But so is mercy and grace and forgiveness and love. It's your choice. Choose one or the other, and that'll determine where you spend eternity. Let's pray.